Hello, church. Um, it's great to be able to be here. I want to say a special greeting to those of you who are not able to attend our services with us on Sundays for, for whatever reason it may be. Um, I just want you to know that, that your church loves you, that we miss you, that we're praying for you, and that we, we can't wait to see you again. I am, I'm humbled and I'm, I'm always thankful for the opportunity, opportunity to share God's word, to be able to study it and then be able to um, pretty much just, just report what I've, what I've gleaned from this study. When, when Pastor Cody first told me the, the text that um, they were going to have me preach, I knew that it was going to be good. Romans is, is overflowing with gospel theology. And we're coming into this text at, at a tipping point of, of God's holiness and man's sin. I know that God has something in his word for everyone that's listening, no matter where your standing is with him. From, from an unbeliever to the most faithful Christian, the gospel is the most important message that we could ever hear. My prayer is that, is that in going through this text, that we would each see how the gospel is calling out to us and that we would respond appropriately. A response to the gospel cannot be avoided. We can either reject it or we can trust it and follow in obedience. So we're going to be in, in Romans chapter 3 today. And um, let's, go, let's get right to the text. We're going to be in, in, starting in verse 1. So in verse 21. So the first words of verse 20, 21 are but now. This immediately should alert us to look for the context of what we're about to read. What was, what was before this, this but now? What is now different than it was from before? So if we, look, if we look back to the first two and a half chapters of Romans so far, Paul has been building his case for the holiness of God and for the sinful depravity of man. When comparing the two, the gap is obvious. Think about anyone in the Bible who ever faced God and his glory. They were immediately filled with fear and they were ashamed of their own sinfulness. Nothing is going to reveal our sin more than looking into the holiness of God. So with seeing that God is holy and how man is sinful, Paul declares how keeping as, as much of the law as we can, it's never going to be good enough to equal God's holiness. This is not what the law was designed to do. So let's look back at verse 19 and 20, again, Romans chapter 3. This kind of sets the context for what we're about to get into. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. What he's saying here is that the law is not your friend. It's not your hope. The law is what condemns us. It's not there to give us a step-by-step -step guide in how we can have God's approval or how we can go to heaven. It's there to show us how guilty we stand before a holy God. Compared to God's holiness, no amount of good things that we can that we can pile up is ever going to be enough. 
We're all, we're all born into sin. And we, we can't take that stain away. And any view that thinks that we can equal God's holiness by doing good things is not a view of the real one and true holy God. We bring God down and make him as a man with this mentality. And this is, so this is bad news for everyone, that the righteousness of God is unattainable and anything that we could ever do is not enough. And we're already living in a separation from God. But it says, but now. And aren't you glad that this story of, of doom and gloom, that it doesn't end right here, that there is that but now, that this is just the beginning. So in light of all that, and what we've seen, what we see in the first couple chapters of Romans before this text, the separation of God's holiness and the sinful state of man, we're gonna see a dramatic shift come into place that was before all humanity to see. So if you're taking notes, the first point today is going to be the revelation. Now this, this revelation <clears throat> demonstrates the shift of Christ's sacrifice that it makes and how it affects our relation to God and his righteousness. So what is revealed first and foremost is God's righteousness. We cannot look at God without seeing how truly perfect he is. Before we go too far, I want us to, to make sure we all understand the word righteousness. Righteousness is, is an attribute of God, and it has to do with his moral and his lawful purity. It's a little bit different than his holiness, than his glory or his power, but it, it, it works in sync with those. <clears throat> the idea is that there, there isn't anything in God that, that is contradictory to himself or to his absolute perfection. The righteousness of God has been unattainable through keeping the law. There was, but now there, there's another way. That's what this revelation is, a way that we can have this righteousness of God without having lived a perfect life in our past, present, and also in our future. But now we're gonna see that the righteousness revealed apart from the law. Romans 3.21, it says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Up to this point in, in Paul's message, he's constantly been pointing out the hopeless state of man. There's just the utter wickedness and the sinfulness that we're engulfed in. So even, even the greatest, nicest person that we know, when compared to a holy God, they have nothing to stand on. There's no way that they can measure up. But what he's saying is, but now, apart from the law, apart from doing all those good things, we can have the righteousness of God. Apart from working to earn it, which could never bridge that gap. Apart from trying to do everything just right, which can erase our past. God now offers that righteousness to us. One more thing before we move on. It says that the righteousness of God apart from law, is, is being witnessed by the law and the prophets. <clears throat> the more I, I've learned and, and studied the Bible, especially over the last few years, I've, I've just grown to, to appreciate 
and just be in awe about how the Bible works seamlessly together, how it's perfectly weaved together, and that the common thread of God's redemption flows from front to back. What Paul's writing here is not a new concept, but it was recently fully revealed. It had just come to fruition. With our human mentality, sometimes we think of God as reactionary, but it's clear in Scripture that God making his righteousness available through his son was always the plan. This wasn't, this wasn't plan B or C. God's redemptive plan didn't start with baby Jesus. The Old Testament law and the prophets are there to point us to our need to God, our need for the gospel, and point us to the way that God was going to make all of this possible. Right now we're, we're coming off the Christmas season, so it's, it's fresh in our minds the prophecy of the Messiah being born, right? But there's also prophecies of Christ redeeming his people. <clears throat> Isaiah 25, verses 7 and 9, it says, And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of, of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken, and it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. He will be glad. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And later in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, it said, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes... We are healed. These verses were written hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born. Redemption was always God's plan. So now we've seen the revelation of God's righteousness. We're going to look at how this righteousness was made accessible in verse 22 and 23. When we see this, this great gap between sinful man and a holy God, And then we couple that with the admission that that we can never do anything to earn his favor, to have that right standing with him. That's a big deal to say that we now can access his righteousness. But how is it accessible? I mean, this truly is, it's the greatest news for the biggest need of all people. How can a sinner deserving God's judgment, have access to his righteousness? The answer is right here in verse 22. It says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. It's accessible through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not anything that we can do or earn. It's through a free gift. So no matter how hard we could try no matter how faithful we could be, his righteousness is something we can never attain. And we're gonna get into the details on how all this works here in just a little bit. But the good news is that it's accessible to us. So, and if God's righteousness is accessible, who is it for? It goes on to say, it says, to all and on all who believe. It's for all those who come to God in faith and repentance. That true heart and life changing belief that God gives to us. 
isn't that, isn't that crazy that something that we could work our very hardest for our entire life and never measure up, that God makes it available to us and there's still, there's nothing that we can do to earn it, but he offers it freely to those who place their faith in him. He's done, he's done all the work. He's made the way. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he's already done. The most precious gift that we could never attain, he gives it away freely. The phrase to all and on all really caught my attention from the very beginning of studying this passage. And to me, it's a, it's a testimony of God's perfect work and our security in him. God knows who are his, and he isn't going to lose them. He's made his righteousness accessible to those who believe, and he's put it on those who believe. God doesn't miss. There's not any one of his children that he's going to let slip through the cracks. If God truly has saved you, you're covered in God's righteousness even now. And again, we're, we're going to look deeper into this in just a few moments. But let's turn our, our attention now to, to how this ends in um, verse 22 and um, verse 23. It says, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That phrase, for there is no difference. This is such a, a great equalizer. It shatters our, our competitive and our comparative view that we have with one another. Because we tend, we tend to put people up or put them down according to how well they fit in our kind of moral and personal standards of what we think a person really should be. And it's really not even fair because usually the standards that we judge other people are how we kind of optimistically view ourselves and how we kind of see our intentions. It's not even a reality for us. But we look out, we see all different kinds of people. We see people that are, that are living, that are struggling in hardship. Maybe it's even because of their own poor decisions. We see these people of, of other religions that live halfway across the world, that are, live a totally different culture than us, that have never even heard the name of Jesus, and just living in darkness. Then there's violent people, there's gang members and terrorists. We, and we just see these people, how... How are these people even human? And then we see these people that seem like they have it all together. It's like what we even aspire to be. They have the beautiful family. They have financial freedom. They have wealth, cars. They have houses. Everything that seems like they could want. There's also people that have, have fame and great power and leadership. And these type of people, we tend to hold them up as better than some of these others mentioned before, don't we? Whatever the case is, we try to look at ourselves and compare to those around us. And this kind of gives us a better feeling of ourselves because we can always kind of push ourselves. We can always find somebody that's, that we're a little bit better than in our eyes. But Paul's crushing this idea here. He's saying there's no one that deserves the righteousness of God. Nobody more than anybody else. We want to think that since we're kind of good people by our own standards, that we're kind of more worthy of God's grace and that we're kind of entitled to the gospel. While people that, that we don't even know that, that just live far away, that don't have anything to do with us, 
they don't seem to matter to God, to us at least. We don't have a monopoly on the gospel. In God's eyes, they are just as important to him as me and you are. And that's what he's saying. He's like, we are just as lost as them. Because when compared to a holy God, it doesn't really matter. We just crumble and melt away at the sight of God's glory. We have nothing to stand on. So don't, don't push yourself up. Don't look at someone and some people as less deserving of the gospel because there's no difference. We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned. But the good news is that his righteousness is to all and it is on all who believe. So let's turn our attention to verse 24. This is kind of where we start to get into the meat of the message and where it really starts to get good. So we're going to mark our third point from this passage as, as legal exchange. And it's, it's baffling how, how intricate the, the details and how perfectly God has worked out a way of our salvation. And he does this all without compromising one ounce of his integrity. So the legal exchange. Um, let's look at verse 24. It says, Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So there's two legal terms that I'd like to, like to unpack quickly that, that kind of bring clarity to this passage and then really display the beauty of the gospel. You have justification and redemption. So justification, the term means to, to declare righteous. So now we need, to, we need to note right off the bat that, that being declared righteous and being made righteous is not the same thing. So we are, we are made righteous through sanctification, through God growing us and making us more like him here on earth, but ultimately our glorification in heaven. That's how we are made righteous. But being declared righteous, this, our justification here, this is, what, this is what makes the gospel so great. It sets Christianity apart from all other religions. And it does that by the fact that, that we cannot work. We can't be good enough to gain God's favor. That salvation is by God's grace. I'd like to read a quote from a book that I've used in, in my studying. It says, There are only three options open to God as sinners stand in his courtroom. He must condemn them, compromise his own righteousness to receive them as they are, or change them into righteous people. If he can exercise the third option, then he can announce them righteous, which is justification. But any righteousness the sinner must, has must be actual, not fictitious. It has to be real, not imagined, acceptable by God's standards, and not a whit short. If this could be accomplished, then and only then can he justify. So we're justified. It's a done of no work or merit of our own it's by his grace but what makes this justification possible is redemption this is our our next word we're going to look into so instead of this this empty rebranding of justification on a sinner redemption is is what backs it up it's what gives it the substance it's what makes it legally possible so redemption's simple meaning is to purchase or to buy back now now, there's many words 
the many times it's used throughout the Bible and where it's translated to redeem, there's connotations a lot of times of slavery and even of a, of a ransom. So it paints the picture here for us of, of being hostage, being in bondage and even slaves to sin. It's uncomfortable for us to think about because it paints kind of a, a nasty picture of where we really stand, but it's the truth. It shows us how we really are apart from Christ. It says that we are held hostage by sin, that we are enslaved to it. And we can't, we can't do anything to buy back our freedom. This, we were born into this and we're gonna remain in this status unless someone from the outside intervenes. Only Christ could pay our sin debt. He was and is our only hope. <clears throat> he made the way for us to be justified. Not just, not just an empty title change, but God, in his grace, he did what we could never do by keeping the law as a man. He died in our place and he gives us his place and his right standing with God. So, so God, when he looks at us as, as, as justified, he doesn't just see us as being made right. But he sees, he sees the righteousness of Christ when he looks on his children. What a transforming miracle that, that we can go from being a slave to sin and that he can, he can redeem us. He can buy us out of that and that he could set us here and make us right with him but not just see, not still see our sinfulness but that he can see the righteousness of Christ on us. So our final point that we're gonna look at is in verses 25 and 26. And we're gonna see kind of how in-depth justification was made possible. So justification made possible. And the first thing is how God set forth Jesus. So in verse 25, it says, God set forth Jesus. He put him out there for the world to see. All the Old Testament was pointing towards his arrival. There was, there was prophecies telling of a coming savior. When Jesus was born, there was the angels declaring the glory of God and the peace that was gonna come to the earth through this child. There was the star for the Magi. John the Baptist, he prepared the way for Jesus' earthly ministry. And even Jesus himself preached repentance and forgiveness of sins. He declared himself to be God. He did countless miracles and he topped it all off with his death and resurrection. He was in the public eye. There was nothing hidden he was constantly surrounded by people and God wanted us to know that this was his perfect son and that he is enough to be our perfect sacrifice God set him forth on earth to show us what he himself is like he was Emmanuel God with us so God set forth Jesus but he set him forth it says as a propitiation I know we just went <clears throat> through these legal terms and definitions, but there's, there's one more. It's this word propitiation. So what this means is it's an, it's an appeasement. So it's the idea of, a, of satisfaction. Jesus appeased the wrath of God on our behalf. He satisfied the debt that we owe. Think of a, of a sponge absorbing wa the water from what was once wet. It's the same idea of our sin and the inevitable consequences of it. Jesus absorbed God's wrath and he took it all upon himself. But God set forth Jesus as a propitiation and he did it by his blood. 
Bible says, without shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Jesus was the only one who could pay our penalty. We deserved death for our sins. And the reason why Jesus could be that propitiation, because of his perfect life. There was no sin in him. He kept the law perfectly. Something that we could never do. And just as the Old Testament taught God's people about that, that substitution of that animal sacrifice as a picture of the covering of their sins, Jesus showed them that all this is pointing towards me. This is pointing towards my sacrificial death on the cross. So God set forth Jesus as a propitiation by his blood and through faith. Again, this is, this is how we receive this justification. This is how we receive that, that redemption is, and Christ is our propitiation. When we look at the length that God went to in order to make us whole, to be restored to him, it's foolish to think how we could ever do that on our own. All we have is, is feeble attempts of our own righteousness. But as we saw earlier, it, it doesn't matter. We're all the same. We're all short of God's glory. We're all depraved. We can't clean ourselves up. God has to do all the work. And he does. He has. And he calls us to rest in the faith of what he's already done. Stop striving to do it on your own. And just trust me, I've already done it. Now, faith isn't, isn't just an acknowledgement of, of historical facts. True saving faith is when we, when we trust this gospel message enough that it changes our actions. Saving faith will always be accompanied by repentance. Not an outward, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna clean up my life mentality. But where we, where we turn from what we're truly worshiping and almost always it's ourselves. And we turn from, from worshiping ourselves and being king of our own life and give that to God as his rightful place of king of our lives. That's, that's a heart change that God's gonna supernaturally bring to you. <clears throat> so God set forth Jesus as a propitiation. He did it by his blood through our faith and he did it to demonstrate his righteousness. God sent Jesus to be a sacrifice <clears throat> for our sins to redeem a people to himself and it was for one reason it was to show how good he really is he did it for his glory that's the reason he does everything and that's that's what should drive a believer that should be why we do everything too is for his glory he showed us how good he is he showed us how holy he is how perfect he is and how powerful he really is and he did all this just to demonstrate his righteousness to us, to show us how good and how righteous he really is. Why? Why did, why did God put forth this, this whole legal procession in front of the whole world to show his righteousness? And the passage goes on to explain it. And it's, it's worded so beautifully. Let's, let's take a look. Verse 25 and 26 it says, Because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God showed grace and his forbearance towards sinners. Would he have been just to punish Adam and Eve immediately for their sin? 
Absolutely he would. Would he have been just to hold each and every person accountable for their sin before Christ? He would. But this is God showing his grace. And it's just another instance displaying that, that God is the, is the same God in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament. That God has always been the same. There's not this, there's not, <coughs> excuse me, there's not this, this angry and aggressive God in the Old Testament and the God in the New Testament is just all loving and forgiving. God has always been both. His holiness demands justice and his righteousness demands perfection. And that never changes. But God giving us the law, laying the groundwork to show us our need for him, giving us a picture in the sacrificial system and then fulfilling that need himself. That's grace and love. God is holy and gracious together throughout the entire Bible. So let's look again. What did God do? It says he passed over their sins that had been committed before Christ, before he came and did his work. He passed over them. So the first thing that comes to mind, and it's a perfect example of this, is the Passover in Egypt. Remember what happened? That God was going to strike down the firstborn of every household. But in his grace, those who put the blood of the sacrificial lamb on the doorpost, they were spared. God had forbearance on them because they were under the blood. How beautiful a picture it was. And just another way how, how the Old Testament law and the prophets, as we saw earlier, how that lays the ground, how that, that bears witness to Jesus, the Messiah, to our redemption. So God waited to release his judgment to demonstrate his righteousness through Christ. His holy and sinless life was not just a covering for our sins, but he was the one that could actually take away our sins. Ever since the fall of man, the world had been waiting for this moment in time. Christ's death and resurrection is the peak event in world history. Everything before was driving up towards this and everything after is looking back to it. It was the greatest event in human history. And it's where God displayed his righteousness and then makes a way for us to be justified freely. But he does it in such a perfect way, a way that only he could do. Look at the last part of verse 26. It says that he, this is God, might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. So would, would God be just if he just threw a blanket forgiveness over sin? Like that would be extremely gracious, but the problem is that God wouldn't be just anymore. He wouldn't be able to be a holy God and allow sin to go unpaid. It seems that that would be easier. And honestly, this is how a lot of people think that, that God should just look past our mistakes. He, could, he should just accept us for who we are, but he can't. And he can't because of the level of holiness that he is on. An outlook like that downplays our sin that thinks God should just get over it 
That's a failure to realize the power and holiness of God. It's a domesticated view of God, bringing him down on our level. And again, think of, think of anyone in the Bible that was around God's glory. They were filled with, with fear of who God was and filled with shame of their own sin. We must see God in his holiness. So because of his holiness, God has to be just. The price has to be paid. He can't, he can't just throw forgiveness on top of it. He can't just look past it. But this right here, this is, this is the beauty of God in the gospel. Is that he sent his son to earth to be that appeasement. To be that payment. So without sacrificing one ounce of his holiness or his justice, he can be the one that buys us back. He made a way to pay our debt that we owed him. He paid it for us. And this is, this is the driving theme of the Bible. This is, this is the gospel, and this is the most important message that we will ever hear. That God, in his great power, in his holiness, in his justice, demanded separation from our sin. But that he looked at us. He looked at us. He saw us as unworthy, rebellious. We were not seeking after him. We are honestly, we were his enemies. That he looked down on us and then he reached out to us and without sacrificing anything of who he was, he made a way for us to be justified. And then he went through and he did the work himself so that all we have to do is place our faith in him. So in conclusion, our response depends greatly on our standing with Christ. If you've not been justified through Jesus' redemption, then the gospel is clear. You need to repent and place your faith in Christ. Because you, you can never be good enough. You may be a good person on your own standards, by anybody's standards. But, but look at the lengths that God went to to make a way for us to be justified. Look at how perfect his plan was and how, how he executed it so excellently. What good works do you have that can measure up to that? Being a nice person does not equal the miracle of justification that God offers. And anyone who thinks that they can appease God by just being a good and a nice person, they have dangerously underestimated God's holiness. We must repent and place our faith in Christ. He's already done all the work. We have to quit trying to do it on our own and trust him. Now, if you have been justified, the gospel is still the most important message that you can receive. And it still, it demands a daily response. The first thing that, that I was just overwhelmed with is that we need to be sharing it with others. With the... But not just sharing, but sharing it with the weight that it really deserves, that it really truly carries. Not just, not just this, this is a good idea and this might help you out. You just need to sprinkle a little bit of God on the side. You just need to have some of these ideas and concepts in your life. But we need to, to share it 
as how we can be made right with a holy creator. And then second of all, the gospel in our lives should flow out in every aspect of our daily life. Our decisions, how we react to things, even our goals that we have through our life, all that should be, should be channeled through the gospel. Because we know that, that our justification came with an expensive price tag, didn't it? We've not been, been ransomed from this, from this slavery of sin, from this bondage that we were in with no way out. We haven't been bought out of that to go right back into it and just serve sin in ourself. We're saved for a purpose much greater than anything we could ever have of our own. We've been saved to serve and glorify God. Um, read a verse here, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. It says, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We've been bought with a price. If we've been redeemed, if we've been bought back, if we've been justified and made it that right standing with God, we belong to him now. There's no greater place to be, but we belong to God. And we need to glorify him in our body and in our spirit because we belong to God. So how's, how's the gospel calling out to you today? Whether we've never entered into a relationship with him or if we're walking with him faithfully, the gospel demands a response. So let us be faithful to God and how we follow his direction over us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the way that you have made of justification, Lord, how something we could never do on our own. No matter how hard we tried, we could just never be enough. Lord, that you looked at us as, as undeserving, as unlovable sinners, Lord, and you loved us so much that you did everything for us that we don't have to try to earn your favor, Lord. We don't have to just do our best, Lord, which would never be enough, but that you've done all the work. And then if we just place our faith in you and your completed work, Lord, that you would, you would save us. You would pull us out of that bondage, Lord. And I pray for anyone here that hasn't done that, Lord, that you would just show them your great love that you have for them and how you've made all this possible, not of their own doings, but Lord, you've, you've laid it all out that if they just trust you, and what you've done for them, Lord. If they would repent and believe in you, Lord, that they could have that freely. And I pray for those of us that have, Lord, that we would use this as motivation to live our lives for you, Lord. That we would be about your glory. That we would be about sharing the love that you've given to us, Lord, so that, so that everyone may have it, Lord. Because we're, we're not more deserving of this than anyone else, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that we would just be used as your, as your hands to those around us, Lord, that we would share the gospel. Lord, that more people would come to know and to glorify you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.